Hey, What's Waters. This week, we are continuing our industry expert series with Aaron Cheris, partner at Bain, who is giving us the 101 on everyone's favorite, or maybe not so favorite topic these days, inflation and labor shortages. You'll hear us talk about the shifts that both CG brands and retailers are having to make to curb inflation, provide great cup employee experiences to retain their top talent, and some strategies for protecting their profit margin. You won't want to miss it. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Marcotte. And I'm Alex Rinker. <laughs> and today we're here to talk about something that's a giant pain in the tuchus. Matt, I knew I wasn't welcome here, but what the <laughs> hell? No, not you, although that is actually true. <laughs> actually, we're here to talk about two topics that are near and dear to every retailer and brand's heart right now, which is inflation. Mm and labor shortages. Okay, those are way worse, I would say. I know, yeah. Right, and to do that, <laughs> we brought an expert in both things. So we're super excited to have Aaron Cheris, a partner at Bain & Company, join us today. Hey, Aaron. Happy to be here, although, you know, sad to be the guy who's here to bring bad news. I know, right? He's like, yeah. like sound effects too, right? Yeah. Oh, can we add sound effects? I'll go upside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I love an upside, that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, but there's a lot of upside, but we'll find out. All right, so listen, we know we could be wish we could be talking about something a little happier, but this is important. So we know inflation is creating challenges for everyone, consumers and retailers. So I'm wondering, as you've been working with different brands and retailers, how are they thinking about their PL structure and really around the rising costs and what are they doing around absorbing sure. those costs, passing them on to consumers? But really, how are they staying profitable in this time? I guess it's no, the bottom line, right? It's a great question. I mean, honestly, the short answer is the gap between the CPI, the consumer price index, and the producer price index is still like 4%. So it's not all getting passed through. Yeah. So some of the money they're paying isn't going to the consumer. And so how do they make it work? Yeah. The last year and a half, two years, honestly, it's been volume, right? Is that you know, the comps of those businesses have been so good that you can kind of hide a little because the, the fixed cost yeah. base is yeah. getting sweat with, with more stuff. As that normalizes over the next year, it's going to feel a lot different. And so my quick take is that people are going to have to figure out where are places they can cut costs they haven't before, where are places they can grow their own private brands and private label where they've got higher margins. And reminder, you know, CPGs make more money than retailers. And so some of this is going to be going back to the well and changing the, the nature of those negotiations. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that because I think we tend to hear, you know, CPG is a slower growing industry. It's very much that one, two, three, four percent, right? But the shared kind of responsibility of all of these inflationary costs has to be passed on to somebody. So totally. Yeah. No, it's got to go both ways. I mean, you got to figure things like complexity reduction. Yeah. Can I have less SKUs and more scale per SKU? And will that lower the cost? Yeah. I want, to, well, I want to get back to that yeah. in a okay. second, because that's a really, I think, important thing to understand of how they're thinking uh, about that. But as you think about even like technology or investments to be able to create more visibility, better processes, less redundancy, are you seeing a lot of appetite for that or? Sure. For sure. You're seeing a lot of people do more with RFID, for example, right? So I can know where my inventory is and the more I know where it is and the more I need less extra to cover for when I didn't know where it was, like that helps my working capital costs, which some yes. days, you know, yeah. helps me be more profitable, right? So it all sort of goes tit by bit by bit. You've got other ones, you know, on the marketing side, how can I find a way to acquire customers less expensively? How do I save money on the way in so that I, you know, if I'm not making as much money on the way out? Yeah. How are they thinking about that? 
You know, personalization is sort of the, the hot topic of the moment of how do I get personal? But honestly, let's start small data before we get to big data, right? Like, I love you know, that. use the basics that you already have. Know that it's a man or a woman. Know that it's a household. <laughs> it's a family, right? And react accordingly. Yeah. Isn't it amazing when you talk to brands and retailers they're like, we want hyper-personalization. <laughs> and you're like, well, do you understand just a little <laughs> bit of personalization you need to start with? Because when you capture preferences, gender, all that stuff, and you don't do anything with that, that's a pretty bad customer experience. Totally. Yeah. And it's interesting. And it's not a Bane survey, but I, we did some research yeah. ourselves around this. And we found in 2017, in 2022 in the US and in 2022 in UK, only 5% of consumers surveyed got any sort of communication from a brand or retailer asking anything about themselves to start a relationship. Yet 68% of them got uh, request to write a review for product. Yes, okay. So to your point about small data versus yeah. <laughs> big data, like how about just curiosity, right? That's right. Show me you know me. Like this is, you know, basic dating, but for retailers and Don't, consumers. Yeah. Like show some interest. Showing a little interest. <laughs> right. Be a good listener. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this kind of dovetails into what I was going to ask you next, which is really about customer experience and labor shortages in general. I think we've all seen at airports and retail stores where the associates running around trying to serve 10 different people in the line at Starbucks the other day happened to be same thing. Just a, it, it's the experience I feel like is falling off with having these labor shortages kind of surging. So what, what are brands doing about it? How is that kind of impacting yeah, the overall sure. strategy? I mean, short answer is it is hurting everybody, but it is hurting some people more than others. Yeah. And so part of it is you know, the cream rises to the top of who does a good job providing a good employee experience that gets yeah. people to want to work there. Second is, you know, who's done a good job of getting rid of the menial tasks, right? Yeah. Part of making it a good place to work, but also part of needing less labor is what did I automate? What did it, we used to do manually that needed more people that we don't do anymore? And can I, you know, demonstrate to my associates that we're actually taking that seriously? The third thing, though, is that it's causing channel shift, right? Because you see the long line, you're like, eh, maybe I'll go somewhere else or, you know, maybe I'll order it separately or maybe I'll do something else. So yeah. it's both changing who I shop with, but also do I just go ahead and go buy it online if it's hard to get service in the store? Totally. I'm actually going to steal a quote from you. Which someone, uh, asked you alert, everyone, trademark. someone asked you the other day, how did you use technology in your Apple stores? And you said, I think if I'm getting this right, technology is not the experience. Technology enables the experience. Exactly. And so what you're saying, I think, is what brands are trying to do. How do you get associates out from behind the screen, but enable them with technology as their kind of assist? That's right. Get them out from behind the bunker. You know, yeah. They, okay. they stay there and just like it's a sign of protection. <laughs> I need them out on the floor. Right. I mean, having run stores, it was yeah. protection. Yeah. You, you have to meet some of the customers, yeah. but I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, you know, so going back to what you were saying about this kind of the the channel mix, which is yeah. which is shifting, right? The the, the, the balance between stores and online or obviously yep. we get into whole AI virtual later on. But I'm curious, what are the conversations that you're having? Because we know that it's more expensive to drive an online business than it is to drive an offline business in the traditional ways yes. of thinking about retail, right? So how are brands or retailers thinking about both harmonizing those channels, but also optimizing sure. profitability as you're kind of like, as you're seeing this kind of change in where people are shopping or how people are getting new customers to the brands. Yeah, I mean, a part of it is it varies a lot by category, right? If you're in a low turn category like furniture, the economics of online might not be all that That's much true, worse, right? Yeah. right? Because yep. you Fair. had a bunch of stuff that was turning once or twice a year and you had a bunch of real estate. And so part of the answer is 
I got to cut back a bunch of real estate and I got to, you know, sort of solve the fleet. As you take it to something like grocery, where it's absolutely lower profit, where yeah. you say, geez, I used to let you drive to the store and pick all the items one at a time. And now I'm sending somebody around picking all the items one at a time and driving it to you, right? Like it is absolutely more expensive yeah. in every way. And so how do I find a way to do it? I mean, one is, is retail media, right? Like the hottest topic at the moment is how do I get my ads business up and running? And, yes, yes. You know, it's back to getting other money from the CPGs. But, you know, if you think of somebody like Instacart, a third of their revenue comes from ads. Yeah. Uh, and so that's going to be a big deal for more retailers. You see it with Walmart, Target, you see it with Amazon. I think you're going to see a lot more of that one. Yeah. It's funny when we talk about this idea of like the last mile delivery or the kind of coming to you, there are so many different startups Yes, and you, you hear that hardly any of them are making any money. And the question is, how long are they going to be in business? So I guess the, the challenge is if consumers get used to this type of model, they're going to want it, right? So do you sense that it's going to become a few big players or do you think it's always going to be kind of a yeah. Like the smaller startup or more localized. Kind no, of it's going to scale, right? And you're seeing it. You see it in restaurant delivery, right? We're yeah. sort of narrowing down. We're, we're now at sort of three, really, uh, between sort of DoorDash and we're eight and, and Grubhub. It probably will get to two uh, at some point. Yeah. You see in markets around the world, it gets pretty consolidated where the, the top couple of players do it. They build scale, but they also find a way to turn pieces like that into the lost theater, right? Like if you go to Southeast Asia and you look at like Grab and Gojek or places like that, that's actually not where the money is made. The money is made in the surrounding services on top of right. the delivery thing that is the yeah. lost leader. Yeah. So essentially in the ones that will succeed, to your point, it's not literally a one trick like play. Yeah. It's this is almost like the thing that brings you in and then they're getting everything around like like Amazon could go low on price because really data and totally. warehousing is all where they're making money other places, right? But it. everybody wants to be a, a quote unquote super app, but the key is you can't just because you have a bunch of stuff doesn't make you a super app. Uh, right? The things have to be better together. If you deliver me pizza and you also deliver me groceries and you also provide me financial services, that's lovely. Yeah. But it only works if those three things are better because I want to Mm-hmm. It's amazing. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. I know we learned a ton when talking to Aaron, and I hope you did too. Next week, we will have part two of our conversation where we'll touch on sustainability, supply chain transparency, and the topic of build versus buy. You will not want to miss it. Talk to you next week. <laughs>